I'm Jason with the NFT Gaming Podcast. Welcome to this episode. And a quick reminder, do your own research. This is not financial advice and enjoy the show. I always wondered what NFT gaming would look like. And then one day I got in. Welcome to a new wave in gaming. One that's owned by the players. Welcome everybody to the NFT Gaming Podcast, where we are exploring different games that are kind of building this next generation. This is presented by StockTwits and hosted by the team here at Duo. I'm Jacob, one of the founders. I'm joined by Jason, also one of the founders of Duo. Hey guys, I'm so excited to be here and to share the vision that we have for NFT gaming into the future. And we have some incredible guests uh, on our show, so make sure you listen to the previous episodes. Um, Leave us a comment. Um, Make sure you give us a rating in your favorite podcasting app. And today, we are joined by none other than... Then Ian from Third Time Games. And so speak of incredible guests, uh, this is one I'm really, really excited. He's got a ton of great industry experience, building out some cool games, and now working in this new play-to-earn space. Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Super excited to talk to you guys. Awesome. Well, briefly, uh, I think you should tell us a little bit about what you guys are building over at Third Time Games and kind of the vision that you have for helping to advance this NFT gaming space. Yeah, so um, we've been working uh, in the Web3 space and blockchain games just really since around September of 2021, August of 2021. But uh, we've been a company that's been active and open since 2015. So we are sort of somewhat new to crypto and and blockchain space, but we're also a a very experienced and veteran game development team. So uh, primarily we have uh, two products right now that have minted. Uh, One of them is called Photo Finish, which is a horse racing game on the uh, Solana. And then the second is uh, called The Suites, which is sort of a sports metaverse social uh, hangout, um, you know, where, where people can get together and bond over sports uh, in Web3. And so those are our two primary products. Our background, again, since 2015, we've been building horse racing games. Uh, we had two of the top downloaded horse racing games on the App Store. Uh, and then prior to that, the majority of my team worked at EA Sports and FanDuel. And so we've always been in the sports gaming uh, industry for many, many years. I started at EA Sports when I was 19 years old uh, in 2000. And uh, so we, we've been around for a while. Man, Ian, I think you've seen probably an entire generation of gaming shift and shift again. What have you seen uh, just early on in your experience moving from you know, app-based games, whether it's horse racing in the app store to now this, this idea of horse racing on the blockchain, because I remember the first time I saw horse racing as a blockchain game, I thought it was incredibly clever. And it was one of the last games that I expected to see on the blockchain, just from my own inexperience in horse racing. Yeah, it, it is a really interesting shift and, and it's made me super excited to work in this industry um, again. And so, you know, the, the mobile game industry has been extremely challenging. You know, when we started in that space, it was actually pretty exciting. You know, it was very much a wild, wild west. You could, you know, publish your own game and reach millions and millions of players that you could never do before. You know, while I worked at EA, 
there was no way to publish a game to reach the rest of the world. Uh, you had to obviously uh, get a publisher. You had to sign all kinds of deals with the, the third parties. Uh, once the App Store came out, it was such an amazing freeing moment where, wow, I, I made my little photo finish horse racing game, the first one in 2014. And all of a sudden there's people playing it all over the world, uh, Turkey, Australia, you know, just everywhere enjoying this game. And that was such an amazing, um, you know, time to start developing in that space. And then um, over time, though, it's shifted into this really, really uh, competitive, difficult market. You know, there's obviously 10, 20,000 games coming live on the App Store all every day. And so you really, really have to work hard to stand out. And then obviously in the last year when Apple had really made all their changes to uh, privacy, which I think are good changes, it really hurt um, a lot of the ability to find new users and monetize. And so it just became really, really difficult. And so now when you're moving over into crypto and blockchain space, it's like sort of starting over again, back at the beginning of that curve where you've got this, you know, really, really excited group of players. Um, you can build a community around, uh, you know, relatively small group of people, but they're all very passionate. They're very much into, you know, trying the new things out and being a part of it. And I think when, you know, back to your question about horse racing, it's just kind of silly how well it fits. You know, it's it's a way better fit to be in the block on the blockchain and the horses be true ownership for their players, you know, and verifiably real, verifiably scarce, verifiably rare. All of that stuff matters so much when you're talking about a game that is, you know, buying and selling and breeding and racing animals, uh, virtual ones. Um, I think it just fits perfectly much better than it did on mobile, where there's sort of a constant churn. Uh, players are having to trust you. Uh, they're having to spend a lot of money to try and, you know, hypothetically, you know, buy the best horse or, or, or hope that they get the best horse in a loot box or any of the kind of things that you have to do on mobile. Whereas in the blockchain space, it's now like much more of like we just, our job is to just make a very solid economy and let the players run with it. And we will get paid because the, you know, uh, horses are changing hands. We, we just are getting a service fee as opposed to having to charge people for loot boxes or gotchas or, or any of the things that have kind of become the norm in mobile free-to-play. So there's a lot of things that I'm really excited about. Definitely want to touch on some of those NFT aspects in a, just a second, but I've just got to know, how does one get into horse racing uh, games in general? <laughs> Coming from your background, what, what mm -hmm. was the start there? Yeah, I mean, so I worked at EA Sports for a decade and you know, I was the creative director of the Madden franchise. And I had gone from basically, you know, my dream game. That was a game I played when I was a kid. I started as a tester and I left being in charge of it. And by the time I got to that role of being in charge of it, uh, it became a real drag. Uh, it was really very much a, a lot of meetings and PowerPoints. And, and it wasn't nearly as exciting as it was when I was first started working on it, you know, with my hands like on the details. So a big part of that for me was that I did want to get back and get closer to the product. I didn't want to run a team of 200 people. I wanted to be you know, working on the details because that's my favorite part. And so when I started up a third time, it was really around looking around at the market at what I thought could I do by myself that would still be, uh, you know, basically well received or, or had enough fans. It was already a, a sport. You know, I was very much into sports. And I just started kind of looking through all the sports, cricket, you know, <laughs> basketball, badminton, football, soccer. I just started kind of scrolling down the list and, and seeing horse racing is really popular. And, you know, I'd been to a few, few horse races. I wasn't like any kind of major fan or anything. 
But it, and then I searched the App Store and realized there was just nothing good. It was a bunch of really terrible games. And I just thought, well, this is a niche. Like, you know, and, and I didn't have grand plans for it. I really, I, I thought my, my whole goal with uh, making the first game was hopefully I could make 1500 bucks because that was what I paid for my Unity license. So I just wanted to pay back the $1,500 that I you know, put on a credit card in order to get the Unity Pro license. And so uh, that was the that was the hope. And so it was really about like you know, seeing a, a hole in the market, yeah, kind of testing it. You know, I wasn't really sure if it would be successful or not, but but realizing there was very little competition there. And then also my assumption, which turned out to be true, was that like the EAs and the Zingas of the world would not come and compete with me. You know, having seen from the inside what happened at the companies when they were competitive, they were very tough to fight with. You know. Um, and so there was no chance I was going to try and make a soccer game or a football game because EA could just push me right out of there. Um, whereas I thought, well, horse racing, they're not going to make a horse racing game. You know, they'll, they'll always look at this industry as too small. And so that was it. It was kind of like a half blend of like, you know, is it a business that I think I could try as well as it was a lot easier to build, uh, than a football game or a soccer game. I thought like building it as one person, I could do that. I could build a horse racing game or it's pretty hard to build a football game with one person. So in Photo Finish, talking about this NFT game that you guys are working on right now, uh, what is the kind of play-to-earn model or mechanic if I'm a player and I'm getting involved in Photo Finish? There's a lot of ways to make money um, and uh, you know participate in the ecosystem of Photo Finish Live. I think the, the first is really obviously owning a horse, just like in real life, has the chance for you to generate revenue from it. Uh, and the revenue that you generate from uh, photo finish is exactly like the revenue you would generate from a real life horse, which is entering it into races, trying to win big races and win big purses. Uh, you can breed. So if you have the, uh, a female horse, you could, uh, breed and then sell their foals, the, you know, the children, you can make money that way. Or if you have a stud, you know, if you have a retired uh, male horse, you can put him out on like, the stud farm and basically be getting paid to uh, cover other mares and produce other offspring. So it's very much like a real life uh, situation there where um, you're starting with a horse at the beginning and you have their whole lifespan to, to try and monetize in different ways, you know, on the track or off the track, uh, racing and breeding. And so then outside of that, which is coming probably a little bit later this year, um, a big part of the roadmap for this game is the wagering. And so, you know, that's sort of the secondary part of it. you don't have to own a horse to participate in this game. Just like in real life, you know, none of us own horses, but we'll go and we'll bet on the Kentucky Derby. Um, but so that's sort of the other key part that we hope is coming. There's a lot of legal things that we have to continue to jump through. We're confident in, in being able to do it, but that's another part of the ecosystem that people can kind of participate in just wagering. And the cool part about that too is that uh, people that are participating in the racing ecosystem are, um, are able to actually have a play-to-earn, uh, you know, inflationary economy because it's being funded from the wagering pool, which is actually a negative economy. You know, like, as, as we all know, gamblers, uh, someone has to lose in the gambling system. If you're good at it, you can win, but someone's got to lose. But so then that overage can kind of come up into the, you know, the top side of the people that are actually participating in the game. And that hopefully keeps it a lot more balanced than I think you see a lot of games that don't have that. They have a cool inflationary economy at the beginning. Everybody's really excited, but then it topples over when the user growth stops. Um, so, so we hope this can stay in balance. You know, that I, I try to say this a lot, like our North, North Star of this game is real life. And, um, you know, we try to not do any like video gamey weird decisions whenever possible, because we're trying to just say, like, let's just match real life. It's been running for like 150 years, this, uh, you know, horse racing system where the gamblers are propping up the system, you know, 
and the breeding is working. So we try to emulate that as much as possible because it's already solved a lot of that economy problem that you know plagues a lot of these blockchain uh, games. So I'm really curious as to how you guys have tackled uh, the nuance around you know matchmaking or skill-based gaming versus gambling. Um, and is this two-tier approach, it sounds like, you know, even considering back when you were running horse racing games on the App Store, has there been a difference in terms of how you approach the core game mechanics um, and, and specifically around this, this balance that I'm sure you have to manage on the legal side between when, when can we support uh, gambling, um, both with the uh, U.S.-based US regulation and then considering, you know, kind of this international audience that you're working with? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tricky. I mean, the key for us is that similarly, when I was at FanDuel, this was sort of a, a, a constant issue there, is that we have to make sure that the game is skill based um, so that it's not an open random uh, dice roll wagering. It's not a slot machine. It's actually a skill based game. Um, so that is key for us. And, and we do believe that that is absolutely true. And the reason we believe that is because we've been running this horse racing manager. Our last game that we made has been running since 2018. A lot of the same concepts are how Photo Finish Live works in terms of, you know, the intelligence and the, and the strategy around the breeding is really a key part of the game. That's how you win is, uh, you know, correctly finding genetics and bloodlines that match up and work uh, to, to also not only create good offspring, but then it takes your skills and owner to find the right races that your horse is good at um, to actually win. And so we know that... Um, great skilled players have won in our game. Um, it's not a random thing at all. It's very much skill. And so that's key, number one, uh, is that it has to be, you know, skill-based for us to be in the U.S. And regulatory-wise, we have like a, our current legal opinion around 35 U.S. states uh, are, are going to be legal. And then the others, we just have to geo-lock and just say, you know, contact your senator, um, try and get the laws changed. Um, Florida is one of those, unfortunately, where I live. Um, so you know, I'm hoping, hoping that uh, soon they'll change the laws, but I won't be able to uh, play my own game uh, here in Florida. Um, but then the other <clears throat> part of the gambling side is uh, also similarly, it's got to be a skill choice. It can't be just a pure gamble. And there's a lot more restrictions on it. So we right now, uh, similar to if you look at like uh, FanDuel and DraftKings, you know, it's, it's more like 17, uh, 18 states that that's allowed in the U.S., that's similarly how ours will be. So even though we can call it a game of skill, it's still got wagering inside it. So there's a little less, uh, you know, wiggle room. But um, but yeah, we're, we're still feeling like it's not going to limit the audience too much. Obviously, FanDuel and DraftKings and others have made it work um, with limited uh, U.S. states. And we're hoping that we'll get to expand it more and more. And I think the thing that we're also really excited about is that we can add and build a lot of experiences inside the game that aren't just the racing and the wagering that people can participate. You know, so when I think about a lot of the, you know, Axie Infinity or the games that are, you know, finding their way to kind of do the uh, scholarship programs or, you know, things like that, we can actually, you know, branch that part of the game off and not require people to actually spend money uh, in this skill-based way, like a wagering. Someone could actually just go play this game, you know, take care of the horses, train them, feed them, do that that side of the horse management, which again, our old game had a lot of, and they could be earning uh, tokens in that way. And they're not violating any law. They're not wagering to do so. So there's experiences that we think we could do that uh, again, match real life. Uh, this was a big eye opener to me. Uh, when we started working on this game, I actually went out to Ocala, which is about an hour from here. And I didn't even know it's like the 
you know, number two or number three location for thoroughbreds in the nation in terms of training and sales. And uh, it was so eye-opening to see the all of the money in this economy of horse racing and how it is spread across all these different spots. So there's, of course, the you know billionaire owner that flies in on his jet and buys the horse for $3 million at auction. But there's also people taking, you know, baby horses and training them till they're one, taking care of them and selling them for like a $500 profit. Uh, and then there's people that are cleaning the stables and they're, they're doing the profit, you know, so it was like really interesting to see at all grades, all the way up through this horse industry that there's like every type of video game player uh, represented. And so that was a big light bulb for me of like, that's the type of game that we could build. It's like people that, you know, maybe just want to do the pet side, the Tamagotchi, take care of the animal. Uh, as opposed to people that are very competitive and they just want to buy a horse and race it. Uh, there's a lot of people. So being that you guys have built a game very similar to this that wasn't on the blockchain, I'm really curious on your perspective on just the question of why. Like why NFTs? Why put this game on the blockchain? What makes that better than uh, the previous iteration of a game that you built? Yeah, I think people ask that a few times. You know, just generally the detractors of the gamers out there think this a lot. Like, what is the point? Why would you? Why do you need to use the blockchain? Um, and of course, you don't. Like, we could obviously build a game with just the database. It would be technically much easier. But the main part is that you can't build the trust in the consumer that they know what they have and that they can resell it. You know, the, the community out there, especially with horses, I mean, it just makes perfect sense. It's maybe there's certain games out there that are really kind of ramming this in and they don't need to. They're trying to cash in on the trend. But with this sort of game where there's like horses that are bred, they have their genetics, you know, all that stuff can live where someone could see it and they don't have to like trust the company. It's actually out stored on the blockchain. And when you sell it, you know that you have it. You're not, there's no other like kind of, well, I heard that it's good. Uh, it's verifiably rare, verifiably scarce. You know, anyone can see it. I think that level of trust that people have in the in the blockchain is key because you do need to get the money out. I mean, again, a mobile game right now as well, like, I don't think you can get money out at all without a lot of work. You know, if you were going to have some user uh, buy into your game, everything's stored on your database, and then he can go sell that asset to someone else um, for real money. Like, how do you do that? You know, what is the infrastructure? You use Stripe or some other payment method? The scams are probably immeasurable, you know, that people are trying to uh, get over that. Whereas on the blockchain, of course, there's a lot of scams going on, but at least it's public. And there's some trust that's being built over time, slowly but surely, um, that they are getting the asset that they paid for and that they know what it's worth. Um, so I think that's just sort of the key, like that level of trust and transparency. Um, you know, for, for me, too, a lot, of, a lot of gamers care about the decentralization part. That, to, Mar to me, isn't as important for our game. I, mean, I obviously I, I believe in that. I think it's a great uh, goal for financial systems and all that as well. But for our game, I mean, we're really trying to just build a great game first. Eventually, maybe we can hand the rules over to someone else. But it's really about the fact that the assets are known to be provably what they say they are and that people can trade them around without that fear of them being fake. Um, I, th I think that's something that um, many gamers, myself included, take for granted in traditional games until they're burned uh, in, in one aspect or another. And you, you touched on something there that I thought was was really incredible, and we've talked about this internally as as game developers as well. Which is, 
what is what is this new world of of trust uh, with your customers and your gamers and ownership look like? So for them being able to own the assets, right, own these NFTs, be able to transfer them, sell them, uh, transact with them in new and incredible ways. I think we're just learning what that looks like. But then also, you know, to your point, kind of the the access control. So like, how do they access your actual gameplay? And that's a little bit more centralized, um, but it allows you to move quickly and build something that's of real value to the gamers. So it's this hybrid approach of the decentralization of the ownership of the assets and then the centralization still of the the access to the gameplay that allows you to create uh, great experiences within your games. Has that been a big shift for you as you build and develop these games in terms of where does the line of ownership land um, when it comes to the gamers? Yeah, it has been a lot of debate and we still talk about it every day, like what's on chain and what's not. I mean, that's definitely one thing that comes up in a lot of our meetings, you know, and, and the line that we've been able to relatively easily draw is just if it's uh, immutable or not. You know, that's sort of the main thing. Does it need to change? And, um, you know, the horse itself, like his genetics, when he was born, what does he look like or she? You know, what's his or her gender? You know, those types of things in the game itself uh, just makes so much sense to be like verifiably out there on the chain because that's not going to change. Um, and I love that idea that if like, I don't know, something bad happened to our company when we went under, the fans could like just take it and run with it. They could go make another engine that ran all of these same inputs and, and it worked. Or even a competitor could come out and say and start doing that. You know, good luck with Madden if, if they said like all our players are on the blockchain and someone else could build an NFL game. Then there's no way, right? So um, I, I really like that idea. And but yeah, we have sacrificed decentralization for speed on certain areas, you know, things like the statistics of the horse, like in terms of uh, their race history. So we try in our previous games, you know, we save every single thing they've ever done, how much money they uh, made in each race, how, what their time was, what position they ended, what was the race details, was it raining, you know, all these like tons and tons of details you always put in a game, stats. And it's like, well, that doesn't really need to be on chain. I mean, of course it doesn't change, but it's like, well, why are we putting it there? You know, no one's owning that part. So let's just keep that in the database for now. Over time, hopefully we can move stuff there. But, you know, it's sort of a cost and speed analysis that you ended up end up doing a lot there of like, well, we're going to we need to have two things. We need to have our own database no matter what, because we got to hide stuff. I mean, that's the one thing like we can't put everything public because the game would be cracked open uh, and figured out the genetic algorithms and all those types of things. So we do have to have something private. So then it's sort of like a debate of like, well, OK, how much do we. Uh, keep out there public versus not. So um, I don't know, we're, we're settling in on that. I mean, all a lot of the investor calls were asked those questions. A lot of the community have asked those questions and it's just sort of like, it's fluid. You know, we don't know exactly where the line is drawn, but that's where we try to draw it, uh, is that immutable line. And you've mentioned a couple of times that the, uh, the kind of purpose for using this blockchain is the trust factor for the players but the the decentralization aspect is maybe not as important to you guys uh i think that kind of speaks to the blockchain that you chose a little bit in choosing solana uh talk to us a little bit about the decision to choose solana and why that was made yeah so solana uh was chosen really straight up out of speed and cost um you know the, those were the key uh, identifiers up front that mattered to us and Likewise, it was with uh, their team, you know, so we, we I, I had the luxury of time of meeting with a lot of different uh, representatives, biz dev people, programmers from nearly every chain that was out. I didn't actually talk to Cardano, but I did talk to a lot of the other ones. Um, and 
you know, when it got to the Solana team, it was just like they got it. They understood that gaming was a huge vector, that they were never going to reach critical mass of, you know, a billion users without games uh, being a part of the chain. And they were so responsive and super helpful. Any question we had, you know, they opened up a Slack channel with the founder right away that we could ask questions to. And so that sort of like white glove treatment to, you know, I don't want to like try and be cocky, but we are experienced developers. I didn't want like, but like I got ghosted quite a few times from other, you know, things. And so it's sort of like, well, okay, I'm obviously not going to build with a team that doesn't respect that we are trying to bring you a lot of users and we are trying to uh, make your network better. You know, we're, we're going to do both. Um, so it was just sort of that representation of the speed, you know, because ETH was like my, my CTO, that was sort of his, um, you know, perspective all along is that we should be as close to ETH, close to ETH as possible. So we should either be on ETH itself or be an L2 because, you know, I, I think he's just really bullish on the future of, of Ethereum, which I am too. I mean, obviously it's great, but at the time it was just like, we need to have this thing operate and we cannot deal with these gas fees and costs and, and the slowness. Like, there's just no way we can build something that has to hit the chain this often um, and be stable and, and you know, fast and cheap. You know, so it was like, all right, let's go Solana. Let's try it. Um, we're relatively chain agnostic, though. I mean, that's one thing, too. Like, we're not – I love Solana. It's been a rough few months. Um, you know, they've had a lot of, like, just stability issues. I mean, it's still in beta, I guess that's they call it. Um, and price tanked, it's coming back. That's nice, but but I, you know, I, I'm not like any kind of maxi on really any chain because I do think that eventually they're kind of like web services. You know, I I, I don't really feel like uh, like if I download a game that's great, I never think like, oh, does this use AWS or Azure? You know, like I never give a crap about any of that level. And I sort of think of them as that point. Like there can be people that are crypto investors that can be bullish on all this you know, the different proof of stakes and all the different, you know, decentralization. But for the games itself, I just, you know, I just want the game to be easy to play and fast and cheap. Um, and so I'm kind of agnostic on the chain. And and I per I personally think that we'll support like all the chains that we can that, that are popular over time. They won't just be a Solana only thing. It's a little bit like the app stores, right? You know, build iOS, build Android. You kind of cover the big the big gambits, but yeah, uh, right. it, it covers the hardware on uh, on everybody's preference. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, if you own an asset like in ETH versus you own an asset on Solana, like I, I don't care where that horse comes from at all. You know, I just want you to race it. So, yeah, I think eventually we're definitely going to see a cross chain world where gamers are playing different games on different blockchains, probably without even knowing it, like you mentioned, um, kind of like what we do in our, on our mm -hmm. daily lives with web servers. So. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, you guys have two projects kind of running side by side right now. And I know we've talked a lot about Photo Finish, that horse racing game, um, your experience there, what you're building with NFTs and being able to raise your horses and race them and, and breed them and all of the cool things there. But talk to me a little bit about this secondary project you have, the suites, uh, where you're going with that, what it is, and how that actually integrates or will integrate with Photo Finish. Yeah, so that's a funny one. You know, the backstory there, the suites being kind of the secondary project. You know, we, we'd been working on Photo Finish for months and months, and the suites was just sort of a, you know, a, a quick prototype idea that came out of some brainstorming. And then it minted, uh, sold out in under a second, and, you know, nearly took down Solana with it, and uh, blew past Photo Finish in terms of popularity and, uh, you know, followers and all of that. So it's definitely not the secondary project anymore. Uh, so I think the interesting thing about the suites is really, um, 
you know, the catalyst of it and, and where we're going with it is, is merging the, 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 the world of sports together. And so, you know, it did start with this sort of, you know, nugget of an idea where, you know, this actually happened organically. We were watching horse races in our Discord together. Uh, people were gambling on them, you know, making bets. People were following each other's bets. And, and you know, uh, I was watching TVG, which is the network at the time. And on my TV, they TVG would show my bet down the right side of the screen with the race over on the left side of the screen. And... You know, like I had my computer, I had two windows open and I had my TV and I had all this stuff going on where we're kind of socially gambling on these races. And that was the light bulb for me of like, this should all be in one place. Um, why, why am I having to do all these in all these different screens? And so that was sort of the catalyst of like, I'm going to try a prototype of this where what if I could be in the metaverse, you know, if we want to call it that, but basically be in a 3D, you know, avatar space where I am chatting, like it's Discord, I can have voice chat or text chat, and that TV is up there with the bet. Um, and then I could see everyone else's bets. Um, and so I threw that together, you know, in a, in a night and uh, basically showed a few friends and it was just sort of like, dude, you're so dumb to think this is only horse racing. Because uh, that was what it was for. It was basically like, it was going to be for photo finish, you could join into this room. It would be more fun than watching just a website, you know, it would be a way to watch the horse races and gamble on them together. And so it quickly like exploded, you know, way off from under me, went viral, I suppose if you want to say that, but I wasn't prepared for the growth because I just thought it was like a neat idea for the horse racing games. And instead it's, it's blown up to be much bigger. And so then after that happened, you know, it was really around like, let's step back a little bit and think more about this world because, you know, we did rush into it. We, we thought it was a good idea. It sold out super fast. And it was like, well, we've limited our scope a little bit here. There's only 5,000 suites, so we're kind of limiting how social this game can even be, uh, or this world, you know, because there's an exclusive number of suites. And we have lots of great, great ideas that we've been continuing to execute on, on, on how people can actually uh, hang out in these suites, have special events, uh, have hosted events. You know, a, a, a streaming partner can host an event and actually, you know, invite people, have them charge for entry. It's like a great way for fans to integrate with their sports uh, icons and watch events together and gamble on them. But it's just tight. It's only 5,000 people, you know. And so we, we spent some time just thinking back of like, well, what, what can we do to bring these worlds together? What can we do that makes an actual true sports-themed metaverse? And so that's what we recently announced um, is, in essence, trying to build a, a metaverse that is sports-themed every sport represented, you're able to log in every day and compete in little games, do challenges, uh, and represent your favorite sport, you know, just do little uh, social activities with your friends, and then still have the VIP treatment of the suites, you know, that you can travel up to those suites um, and do the VIP style games, gamble at high stakes, you know, play poker with your buddies, watch TV together, you know, watch uh, sports together. Uh, so that's sort of the difference, you know, making that extra layer up at the top, which is where we started, is is an exclusive suites experience, just like in real life. You know, the hanging out in the suite is the is the VIP experience, but then opening up kind of the funnel for everyone else to be able to join in. And when you ask about photo finish and how does it link in, I mean, that's sort of the key part was like, that's been the glue that we found is like the suite, you know, right now can sit over top of the horse racing track. So the horses are running all day, uh, every day. 
And so we've got that always running. That's always a thing that we can fall back on, even if it's tough for us to land, you know, the NFL wanting to stream their games into our uh, suites. That's, of course, a tricky one. We always have the horse racing game going. And so people can, you know, basically hang out at suites, socialize, watch TV, do that stuff. And then we've always got this horse race running that you can gamble on with your friends. You can go buy a horse and watch your own horse run. So that was sort of how it uh, all came together. Um, and we're pretty excited about it. I mean, it was, again, like it started as a prototype, as a side project you know, really quickly. And now we're kind of really seeing this world of like the place for people to hang out. If you are a sports fan, this is a place to hang out and make new friends, you know, fans of other teams, fans of other leagues. You can finally, um, you know, come across people that believe have the same favorite team as you or have the same favorite sport as you uh, all in, in that world. Oh, man, that sounds like an incredible social experiment um, in the metaverse and in this kind of new blockchain-based space. What does that look like as you're integrating with other partners? I mean, you mentioned different sports like the NFL, but even as you approach um, other games that might want to uh, participate with um, with kind of this sweets experience um, that you're building this community and this audience around, what, what does that look like? What's What's your vision for the future there? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, that's one thing that we've been asked a lot is like, are we partnering with other metaverse projects? You know, uh, can I use my avatar and this and bring it over to that, you know, kind of thing. And, and so that's one area that it's been sort of pretty tough for me of like, well, you know, I want to actually be sports niche. Same thing, same reason I wanted to be a niche with uh, photo finish way back in the day. It's like, there's no shortage of metaverse projects. I mean, even Facebook is, you know, competing in this space. So like, can we be a cool place for sports fans to hang out, you know, rather than like try to be everything to everyone, um, you know, sandbox and decentraland are going to be tough to beat, um, you know, or, or any other of these other ones. Whereas I think the, um, you know, sports angle is key. And so then that's a lot of driven, a lot of the discussions. So one of my really close friends has actually got a startup uh, doing sports game stuff. I have another, uh, one of our advisors, marketing guy is actually also, um, doing some advising on another startup in sports. And so those have been really key to talk about with, um, you know, uh, their, their product being able to be bet on inside of the suites or viewed or spectated inside of the suites. Um, and I think those are really interesting, like partnership opportunities, again, just trying to lean into sports and esports. That's the other one that has been really, really, uh, like promising is that a lot of esports organizations have their own content. They're putting out um, you know, videos every single day, uh, those types of things we would love to be able to also integrate. And we've had some really good talks with some top esports uh, teams on on finding a way to have them have their own suite, have them, you know, bring people in, put on daily events. Um, yeah. So being one of the pioneers of this metaverse movement, what is something that players, current gamers, maybe people who aren't involved in blockchain technology at all, should know about this emerging space? Well, I don't know if we're a pioneer, right? You know, obviously there's been people in the space forever. That, that's the weird thing to me about metaverse. It's, it's sort of like, I mean, Second Life has been out for forever. You know, what, what is that? You know, what is Minecraft? What is Roblox? I mean, they're all metaverses, I guess, but it's just a hot thing in blockchain. But um but yeah, I think the thing for us to, to hopefully learn to build is to try and make it as approachable and as accessible as possible um, and then graduate people into the blockchain parts. I mean, that, that's sort of the key that I see that um, any, any project out there that like forces you to own an NFT to um, you know, have a key to the city to, to be able to, to, to log in 
I feel like it's not going to make um, in terms of the long term. I mean, it's just sort of like that, that's way too exclusive uh, to be able to figure out how to get a wallet and fund it, put the money in and get it over and buy an NFT and what's a, what is an NFT. So I think the key for us is really like open that funnel. You know, again, we started with the suites. It was very exclusive. But we want anyone to be able to just like click on our website and bam, there they are, you know, uh, immediately loaded in. They get an avatar, he's generic looking, and they just might want to think, oh, okay, how do I how do I get my favorite jersey? And then start exploring and then go from there. Uh, oh, that's cool. They're playing soccer over there. How do I go play soccer? You know, and then they walk over there and figure it out. Um, so that, that's sort of key for us is that sort of approachable onboarding to this new world because, yeah, it, it it's sort of a natural thing for kids. I mean, I, my kid plays Roblox and Minecraft and all these games, they get it. I mean, this is all they do. They, they hang out much more virtually than they do in real life. But I think, you know, the adults out there maybe have not grown up like this and uh, do need to be taught, what am I supposed to do in here? <laughs> you know, uh, you're supposed to hang out, make friends. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to learn. That's right. Well, what an incredible way to merge the social experiences that we all thrive and crave um, with this, this new world of gaming uh, where players are owning the content, owning the assets. So I think as we kind of wrap up here, one of the questions that we have uh, for you is if there's someone listening to this podcast today and they're really excited about what you're doing, um, what's the next step? How should they start getting involved with uh, either of these two options that you guys have, have built? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, starting at just a top level, just drop in on the Twitter feed and start to kind of learn a little bit, you know, go to the Twitter for each account, Sweets NFT or Photo Finish Game. Um, you can go to either website as well, you know, the sweets.app, I think is the website, and then photofinish.live. You know, you start doing a little bit of light reading. Uh, if you try to drop into the Discord, you know, those can always be intimidating. I find that about every project, that it's just like, oh boy, there's, you know, thousands of people in here talking hardcore about every minute detail. That can be a little bit much, so I'd say start at the top, learn a little bit, uh, watch some videos. You know, we try to have explainer videos on on uh, everything that, you know, maybe a 30-second one that will give you a top overview, as well as a five-minute one that you can get a little bit more, you know, in-depth. Uh, all that should be linked on the Twitter and YouTube and stuff. So that's one way to kind of start figuring it out. And then, um, you know, then it's always good to drop in the Discord when, and slowly put your, you know, toe in the water. Um try and find a community of people that see, you know, most of the communities that we've got, most of the channels are all really, really positive and helpful. And, um, you know, coming from the EA days, that was never the case. It was a bunch of people that hated us and uh, gave us death threats all the time, which was a real drag. Um, but this, this uh, you know, crypto community, especially on Solana so far that I've seen, has just been really, really positive and helpful. And so that's sort of the, you know, first way to get in. And it may be intimidating. It may be talking a lot of terms that you don't know which also happened to me when I first joined. I'm like, what does W-A-G-M-I stand for? You know, all these things that uh, people are saying. Um, you have to learn, get past some of that vernacular. But um, then I think, yeah, you just kind of immerse yourself a little bit in the community and, and go from there. Well, Ian, thank you so much for joining us today on the NFT Gaming Podcast. We want to go ahead and thank StockTwits for presenting this podcast. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll link all of the uh, links for Third Time Games and the projects that we talked about on this podcast in the descriptions on uh, the different platforms where those are available. And if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you go check out all of our other podcast episodes and come back soon for the next episode of the NFT. NFT Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us.